Good morning. Welcome to our assembly for today. Please have your Bible ready. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44. We'll introduce an important topic I will present from Scripture this morning with a follow-up this evening at 5. I want you to be aware that this past week we experienced some difficulties with the church website lhmacallen.org. Early in the week, the site did not display well-organized appearance. Some content was lost somewhere in cyberspace. The company that hosts the site didn't offer much help in good response time. I was able to work and get some temporary solutions done with them. And we all understand that with complicated digital systems, this sort of thing happens infrequently. We want to invite you to continue to visit the website. We have a temporary fix in now, and we will continue this week to try to get all of that restored the best we can. Mark 12, 41 to 44. And he sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and said to him, and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What was your impression the first time you ever read that story? Maybe this is the first time you've heard this, so what is your immediate first thought? Well... The first thought many people may have is, she didn't have to do that. We may even be almost critical <clears throat> of the poor widow. Could we visit with her, we might say, excuse me, ma'am, you don't have to give everything. There are wealthy people who can cover the temple expenses and you really don't have much to live on. And so maybe just drop in a little token contribution and let the rich folks support the cause. We may see this poor widow as someone who went too far in her giving. We may even call it <clears throat> exaggerated generosity. And I would think many people today would tell her, you don't have to do that. I don't think she would have understood those arguments nor would Jesus have agreed. For her, giving was not about any thought of comparing her ability with anyone else. For her, giving was not a competition, and it wasn't about letting others carry the load, relieving her of all responsibility. No, Jesus commended her and said, she gave out of her poverty. And by the way, there is no evidence in Mark's narrative that the poor widow knew or even cared that anyone was watching her other than her God. 
This was voluntary giving from the heart, quiet, sincere, perfectly motivated. And this is part of what the Bible says about our subject today and tonight. God defined giving. Now if I'm giving and you are giving as God has defined giving, we will welcome the encouragement from this kind of study. And we will continue good giving and continue to reevaluate what we're able to do. If I'm not giving as I should, and you are likewise convicted, this ought to be a time to reevaluate our commitments and our obligations. Now, first, when we talk about giving, the subject is really generosity. I want to set this in the context of generosity. Our materialistic society puts pressure on us against generosity. The unspoken creed of money is, it is mine and I'll keep it. What if God had that attitude? It is my image, I'm not going to make man in my image. Or it is my son, I'm not going to send my son to earth to die and suffer for those sinners. But we know that God is gracious, loving, compassionate. He made us in His image. He gave, the Bible says over and over. He gave His only begotten Son. So if I'm a child of this generous God, what is expected of me? What ought to be? If you are a child of this generous God, you are committed to reflecting his generosity in all of your generosity. And you are mindful of what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity might be represented as a large circle, <clears throat> and within that circle there are various specific functions and opportunities. Giving to your family, which is a primary responsibility God has assigned. Being generous toward your neighbors as various needs arise and as we are able to respond as individuals. Charity is a term we use. And by that I would mean people in need and we determine we have the resources to respond to genuine need. We see need and we act with individual initiative according to our ability. And then the giving that we do here in support of the various expenses that we encounter, as we do what God said we should do as a group of Christians, as a local church. I've listed in this box all these passages about giving as enjoined upon Christians for the assigned purposes that are part of the New Testament description of what Christians do in their collective work. And it is obvious as these passages are read in their historical context that there are expenses and God expected Christians according to their personal ability to do their best to meet those expenses. From the poor widows to those who have abundance, the message was and is, do what you're able to do to the best of your ability. And do it because you want to be a part 
of the Lord's work. So that you are devoted not just to attendance and not just to the accumulation of knowledge and not just to non-monetary encouragement. One's devotion to the Lord involves everything we have to give. One's devotion to the Lord involves the use of individual resources to keep the work going when that work is aligned with what the New Testament says Christians ought to do together. Part of generosity is the God-defined giving that is written all through the New Testament directed to Christians in support of the Lord's work. So let's take this to another level with more specification. What has God asked local churches to do? Those who've read the Bible immediately know some answers that are popular in the religious culture out there, but that can be eliminated because of the absence of biblical authority. God has asked local churches to build gymnasiums and fellowship halls and set up and support general charitable institutions or send money to political campaigns. Individuals can do these things, but we're talking about local churches, and we are limited to what God has asked local churches to do. How do we determine what God has asked local churches to do? We read the New Testament. When we see some direction God gave to local churches, we mark that down and we determine our participation with whatever we have to contribute to it. There is teaching and preaching. I want to give Titus as an example, the book of Titus. Consider the man Titus, for example, worked with the local church on the island of Crete. Now, what was he to do in that relationship with those brethren? In Titus 2 and verse 1, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In Titus 3 and verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Back in Titus 1 verse 5, appoint elders. In Titus 2.15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. A local church then is a place where God expects there to be teaching. Whatever is required to fulfill that, God expects there to be teaching. Preaching the gospel to the lost. I'll use now the Thessalonian example. Paul to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Timothy at Ephesus with that local church preach. The Word, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. So if God has defined the work we are to do, He has defined our obligation to give in support of that work. Time, energy, motivation, encouragement, whatever we have to offer to the best of our ability. We assemble to take the Lord's Supper as we did a moment ago and to sing and to pray. Acts 20 and 7, the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. First Thessal- uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34 that I'll preach about here in a few weeks. Great importance placed on taking the Lord's Supper 
in these assemblies. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. Acts chapter 4, the disciples prayed together. Again, if God has defined the work His people are to do as a local church, what does that carry with it? Our obligation to be a part of that in terms of whatever is necessary to fulfill that work. In several passages in the New Testament, there were Christians who suffered loss in their earthly needs. Food, shelter, and clothing, legitimate needs, not just running short of making the rent payment at the end of the month. Crisis. Something outside their control. In those cases, Christians in local churches responded with financial assistance sent direct to where the need was. This is not about sending money through some organization that finally might in part get to the people who need it. This is Christians gathering themselves in compassion toward other Christians and responding directly to their need. So, where God has said, this is what I want the local group to do. On the island of Crete, Ephesus, Thessalonica, the local church in Corinth. You read all of that in the New Testament. God says, this is what I want the local group to do. There is the expectation that every member participate in that to the best of their ability. God defined work implies God defined giving of time and money and labor and energy and encouragement. Would you let me take you back to Mark 12? Let me take you back to Mark 12. And I want to make one important point and then I'm going to ask you to come back at 5 as we study further. Listen again to this. After all we've said, listen again. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I want to offer to you something to consider about why this poor widow did something that people today consider to be so extreme. Now, Jesus doesn't specifically say, everybody from now on must do this, but there's something to be admired in this we need to get. And I hope we're going to get it now. What is it? What prompted such extraordinary generosity in giving? There is sacrifice. That can be said. But what's behind that sacrifice? That's what we need to get. 
It'll help us in all aspects of our generosity and devotion to God. So what is there in this based on other passages? What can we conclude that prompted this? Based on other passages that concern ownership and stewardship and trust, I'm going to offer this. She gave all she had because she didn't believe it belonged to her. Let that sink in. And I'll take you to Scripture to make that point. Here's where it's to be made. The Bible says, And Jesus believed, and I think the poor widow understood, everything belongs to God. Everything. This is foundational. God owns everything. It all belongs to Him, the Creator. And we know that from these statements. In Deuteronomy 10, 14, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Everything. Psalm 50 and verse 10, For every animal of the forest is mine, says the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills. <clears throat> Two verses later in Psalm 50, at verse 12, God says, The world is mine and all that is in it. That's ownership, isn't it? King David understood this very well, as written in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 12 to 16, where he said to God, Wealth and honor come from thee. And this was the basis of David's expression of gratitude. And so, any instance in the Bible where giving is commended, where generosity is positively illustrated, where great sacrifice is exemplified, this conviction, this understanding is present. It all belongs to God. Therefore, all of my thoughts and plans and perspectives about money and things ought to be based on this foundational truth of God's ownership. Given what the poor widow did, alongside Jesus commending her, I think there isn't any doubt. She didn't think she was giving God what was hers. She was giving God what was His. Our speech betrays us sometimes when we boldly talk about what we earned. And when we say, no one gave me anything, I work for it and it's mine. And there can be an assertiveness in our tone when we speak such things. And we can be so attached to our possessions and our assets that there develops a strong, protective, boasting self-praise. We live in a world of earning and deserving and merit. That sounds like we have not really taken in this foundational truth that God owns everything. 
Once I'm clear about that, then in all areas of devotion to God and generosity with what I have, I'm acting on that principle. God owns everything. Whatever I have in my current possession, whatever God has allowed me to make in the past, whatever I'm using and holding now, whatever I will get my hands on in the future, ultimately, it really isn't mine, it's His. And if I start there and never leave that principle, I'm going to get it right about all my generosity and devotion to God. Our Father in heaven is the Creator, therefore He's the owner of everything, the earth and everything in it, the Bible says. Reading this in Scripture should cause us to disown, disclaim, and dismiss any boasting and any smugness about what we have. And once we are clear and consistent in acknowledging this, then we are in position to be better givers in every way that giving ought to express itself in our lives. Now, what I need to do as an individual is take all of this we've read in Scripture today and evaluate every aspect of my generosity. And specifically, what I give back to the Lord for the work here. Let us give as those who remember the eyes of Christ are as upon us as they were that widow. And let us give remembering God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There is need. God has defined what needs to be done by a group of Christians. Then the question is, what is my response? What is my response? I want you to think about that. I'm going to think about it, and we're going to look at it more when we come back at five. I leave you with what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's be standing as we sing. Standing, patiently drawing near.